With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Straightforward. He has no experience of English football. He's come from Japan. He's got to go to Middlesbrough and get something. And, and I'll tell you honestly, I will love it if we beat them. Love it. So I'm not one of, of the bottle. I'm a, I think I'm a special one. I have to to talk about facts because I think it's important. Hello and welcome back to the brand new episode of the Phoenix Five Show. And just like a bad manager in the Premier League, we are back. And what a show we have for you. Ladies and gentlemen, it's been over a year since you last heard these five wonderful voices all together in the same room. How's everyone doing? I'm back with the Phoenix Five. David Graham, David Holland, Lee Harper, Adam Miller. Yes, Adam Miller is here. I think we've had Adam Miller out of retirement, in retirement, back out of retirement. But he's actually in the flesh with us, live in here. So we're going straight to Adam. Adam, how are you, buddy? Yeah, I'm good, thanks, fellas. Good to be back. And uh, Holland, you've obviously been part of our uh, What's the Story Night is Glory podcast as a guest. So how have you been? You, you well? Yeah, not too bad. Glad we're all back together. And glad I could boost your ratings on your other podcast. Um, and Arsenal top of the league. Arsenal <laughs> top of the league. This is why we all come back together. Last time we done it, they were bottom. <laughs> you know, why not get back together? Arsenal the top. It's happy days. And Graham, my uh, podcast host from the What's the Story Night is Glory podcast. How are you, buddy? You, you've... Uh, just turned 40, so let all the listeners know. How are you feeling at being the big 4-0? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. Um, don't feel any different than I was 30, mate. Just a bit greyer, a bit fatter, um, a bit smellier. <laughs> Apart from that, I'm doing well. It's good to be back with you guys. Um, like you said, it's been a, a year, just over a year. Um, it's good to have all five of us back, and let's make this one better than the last time we did it. Yeah, it's going to be good. It's going to be fun. Lovely. And last but not least is Mr Lee Bruce and Bold Harper. How are you, buddy? Yeah, not too bad, mate. All good. Um, 
like echo what everyone said, basically, good to be back. And hopefully we um, can talk about some different topics that the listeners will like to hear, basically. Perfect. Right. Well, let's get into it. So we're still an old school podcast, so don't don't be worrying about we're not going to be talking about modern day football at the moment, but we will be releasing a podcast probably once a month uh, and we're still going to cover the 90s, but we're also going to go into the noughties. David Graham now being 40 can handle the noughties. This is why we've come back, because prior to this, he had a bit of an issue. If we went over 1999, he had heart palpitations and I mean, his hair started falling out. So we've agreed, <laughs> we've agreed that we, we could touch on the noughties and he's got a bit of a memory for the noughties as well. And um, we're starting this month, lads, with a look back at some of the worst, most bizarre managers of the 90s, early noughties. And for me, there's nowhere else better to start than one that I would say the most strange appointments in Premier League history, which was Mike Ashley's appointment of Joe Kinnear. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, we can't go on conceding goals like that. Too simple. What was your input today then? Were you able to speak with the players beforehand or did you just make an effort at half-time to go in there and to, to try and sort things out? No, I flew up last, last night. Um, I went in and spoke to the players before the game, wished them all the best. I left all the preparation to Chris Uton and um, I didn't interfere with them. But I expressed what I was hoping uh, would be a solid performance. Well, what about the next month or so? Because it's been said that you're only here for a month or maybe eight games. Uh, how do you view your next few weeks here at Newcastle? Uh, well, I'm starting off, I've, I've looked at it this way, that we've got 18 points to play for. That's six games. And that's the target I'm going to aim for. I'm going to work and get as many points as I can, help out everybody I can. And if I am successful, I don't know where it's going to lead. Um, I'm forgetting all this stuff that's going to happen, whether I'm here or not here. But I want to. I am definitely here now for at least six games. Uh, so prior to and, and even um, after 2008, never won a trophy. He had a single promotion, finishing second with Luton. I think in the fourth tier of the English football. Uh, manager at, New, at Wimbledon. Newcastle fans got the appointment and obviously didn't take very kindly to him being the manager, which I think we all thought was quite funny at the time. He'd been out of football for four years and basically he got the job on the basis that him and Ashley were mates. So they must have been in a Weatherspoon somewhere. Kinnear's got him proper levered and made him sign a contract to come back as a manager because there's no reason for Mike Ashley to give a job to Newcastle as a manager to Joe Kinnear. They were more often than not in the bottom three in his short spell. He was a laughing stock for the media, laughing stock for the fans. And I don't know if you remember some of his rants and raves. He had a, a five-minute rant at the Daily Mirror in a press conference, basically calling out uh, journalists from the Mirror. Right, who's the front Simon Boo? Me. Who? Okay, send it to your face. Good. All right. Okay. Niall Hickman. It's me. Fuck out of order. Absolute fucking out of order. You are. And if you do it again, <laughs> tell him now, f*** off and go to another ground. I will not come and stand for that f***ing crap. And that's f***ing lies. What the f***? They had a day off? No, the fact that you're f***ing saying that I turned up and they, and they f***ed off. I did, you're you're trying to be f***ing. I f***ing read it. I f***ing read it. It doesn't say that. I read it. It doesn't say that. You're f***ing trying to undermine my position already. No, no, it doesn't say that. I knew you knew. F*** off. I knew you knew. Your last f***ing chance. Your last f***ing chance. No, no, I'm telling you. No, your last... Because you read that and the way to it. Hey, oh, that looks good headline. That's a good headline. You read the copy. Right, I think he scored 52 times in five minutes, which by my maths gives him a better swear to minute ratio than Joe Pesci and Goodfellows. On top of that, he couldn't pronounce half the names. Uh, Charles and Zogbia was known as Charles Insomnia. Uh, Johan Kabai was known as Johan Kebab. And the list just goes on and on and on. So I'm going to start us off with my favourite, Joe Kinnear, 
Uh, Holland, what, what did you make of that appointment when it was made? Uh, it was just a shambles. It was so out of left field, it was untrue. And I wonder the Newcastle fans were, were going mental. Um, it was just the weirdest, weirdest appointment you could ever think of. He wasn't even at that stage at any sort of club or even in football. He just sort of appeared. And it was um, it was a strange one. But for me, that sums up Mike Ashley's reign as chairman. Everything was was a nightmare from the start. Um, but I say I disagree with saying. It. I mean, at that point, he was it was it was a shambles for Newcastle. But at Wimbledon, I didn't think he was too bad during his reign at Wimbledon. And we're going to go on to I suppose uh, go on to the manager that succeeded him at Wimbledon later on. I suppose. But I, I thought that he uh, he was good at Wimbledon. I think. Uh, but a lot of time had passed. Yeah, he definitely was good at Wimbledon. Like he, he's he brought like I think they finished six in his first uh, season in the Premier League. And when he left them, that's when it all went to shit. So I mean, but yeah, at Newcastle, strange, weird. Uh, it makes no sense it, it, in any footballing way, in any commercial way, in, in any way. So that was a weird one. But yeah. Um, there was a few managers like that, though, in there that you know they were shambles at some clubs, but they had success at others. Um, I would say he was successful at um, at Wimbledon, but yeah, no, I, I never still to this day can't get my head around the Newcastle. But and, he, and he went up on the. Did he not go upstairs after that at all? Well, he went off. In, he, he he pulled a sickie halfway through his three months, four month spell. Well, I say well, a, bit, a, bit, a sickie's a bit strong. I think he had a heart attack. But, um, <laughs> he, 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 he had a heart attack at Wimbledon. I think he had a heart bypass at, um, at Newcastle when his contract ran out. And they just that was just, I think that's when, she, she, when they went down with Shearer in charge for the last few games. That's right, yeah. But, um, yeah I mean, putting, putting a sickie is a bit, is a bit strong. <laughs> well, I don't know. Miller, what do you remember about um, <laughs> choking here at, New, at Newcastle? Maybe at Wimbledon as well, but, but mainly at the Newcastle. Pretty much what Holland was covering. It's he was on a mates rate, getting a little deal out of him, see what he could do, and then he went up to technical sports director or something like that after the heart set. What I remember anyway. Yeah, but more or less insane. Dig, digging somebody out of retirement who ain't been in the game for that many years <laughs> to then stick him in the Premier League with a club that's struggling for for players actually probably thinking all right you had a bunch of nutters together at Wimbledon and you've done quite well let's see what you could do with this average squad yeah basically echo what you guys said about the Newcastle reign um, was a bit of a shambles wasn't it but when you're talking about um, shit managers for this episode I, I, I echo again what uh, Dave and Lee said I mean when he was at Wimbledon um, he said he said he finished six in 1994 he finished six and then he finished ninth in 95 and he finished eighth in 97, I mean, for a team like Wimbledon, we weren't expected to challenge for anything. I suppose they were expected to finish near the bottom all the time, and he took them to the top half of the table. Let's be honest, lad, they were a horrible side to play, irrelevant of the football they played. Yes, it was long ball. It was pumped up to the big man on top and over the best. It wasn't attractive to watch, but it was effective. Um, the Norwegians took over, I think it was in 97, 97, 98, something like that. Um, they gave him a pass. It was supposed to... Um, be sacked or make way for another Norwegian manager, but it was, it was still getting results that they were expecting. And uh, he had the, he had the heart attack, the sicky as you as you called it. And he might he might if it weren't for the, if it weren't for the sicky or the heart attack, you know, joking aside, he would probably stopped on for a, a bit longer. Um, we haven't mentioned he had a he had a bit of a spell at Forest as well, didn't he, boys? Um, didn't do too well there. Um, like Miller said, he had a bit of a 
a break in between. And obviously his style of football just didn't go with a new era, I suppose. But um, yeah, but just a little, little interesting fact as well. I've done a bit of digging. Um, he managed the Indian national side for three years in 1984, which I never knew until this day. But yeah, decent at Wimbledon, um, poor at Newcastle and at Annan Forest as well. So I suppose times changed to an extent. But yeah, that's my take on him, Paul. Well, we'll, we'll stick with the Wimbledon theme, as you, you both mentioned, you and Holland mentioned about um, Norwegian managers and managers at Wimbledon. The next one I've, I've got on my list is uh, Ego Olsen. Uh, very respected for his achievements in the Norway national team, so we can't take anything away from him. Uh, at one point, we're in the top 10 country in the world football with Norway, which is quite an achievement. But he spelt Wimbledon had to be regarded as one of the worst in the league. Olsen endured a tough time at the club with players not comfortable with his tactics. He also had a very difference with numbers of players, differences with numbers of players in the dressing room. Uh, after a 3-0 loss at Bradford, it was inevitable. Basically, the right was on the wall. He would be axed. Uh, they were in the relegation zone, but with only two games to go. Terry Burton was appointed as the caretaker manager, and the rest of the season was unable for them to be saved. Uh, also failed to get the best out of the players and still had a bad reputation for Wimbledon fans. What's the one thing, if I said that name to you, uh, I'll start with you, uh, Graham, on this one, that you remember about his appointment? <laughs> <There's a> famous... <laughs> it's going to be wellies isn't it <laughs> Everton's wellies. that's what he's probably famous for to Brits um, you know, hit the nail on the head there Paul when you first started about uh, the Norwegian side that, again a bit like Wimbledon during the 90s nobody wanted to play them don't get it wrong they weren't in the league of Brazil or Argentina or France or anybody like that but they were a, they were a slip up team they're a horrible team I don't think England every time we played them in the 90s we didn't beat them they had some cracking players obviously you had Solskjaer that played for uh, your boys Man United um, you had uh, players like Rechdale, Ronnie Johnson, Tor Andre Flo, um, Henning Berg, Alfie Harland. That was a solid team. But going back onto the Wimbledon thing, I think he, he took over really from um, uh, Joe Kinnear. Um, it's still long ball. They were good on the counter attack. Uh, why didn't it work? I don't know. Uh, was it a language problem? Was it the hierarchy? That's a weird one for me, Paul. Um, apart from his wellies, I can't really go into too much depth with Ego Olsen because I remember him being there and then gone, you know. Well, I, I, looked in, I looked into this and um, remember when we had Winterburn on, when we had it before, and we asked, did they did the team buy into it when Wenger came in? I feel like this was very much similar along the lines. He came in, he tried to change the, what they were eating, the way they were playing, and none of them bought into it. And they were slagging him off publicly. Um, and uh, so, yeah, so, I don't, so he came in and tried to, to change. The, we were, back in that time, it was very much 4-4-2. And he tried to change it to a four, uh, four, five, one, and they were at the, you know, as we all know, as you explained there, Graham, is that Wimbledon weren't that sort of sort of team that could be, you know, getting the ball down, playing. It was very much long ball, so the, the team didn't buy into the tactics that that he was he was bringing in, and um, and I think that was his downfall. He came in, he tried to change it, and um, and it, yeah, none of them bought it, and then you know when it's it's, it's down tools time. Well, yeah, Robbie, Robbie Earl, he was the captain at the time and he pretty much came out and said like that he just can't get the best out of us. So, like like you said about he tried to change everything, it's, it, that's correct. Obviously, it works for Wenger, just didn't for Olsen. Do you think, Lee, that it was like, you know, again, it, it was ahead of his time. He was trying something that the, the, the league or that team at that time wasn't ready for. Well, yeah, maybe. But if you, like, when you... Obviously, they're two different managers, Wenger and Olsen. But Wenger, I think, proves in the pudding. Like, it definitely, his philosophy worked. Like, and he, every club now pretty much is like he changed. Like you said, he changed everything. Yeah. Like, they used to have like beers. Like everyone used to have a pint after like game. That all pretty much stopped 
under Wenger. And I think a lot of managers kind of wanted to go down that route. But Wimbledon, being Wimbledon, were probably thinking, fuck this. Well, they're, they're not the sort of team you could sort of change the way they play with the players yeah, that they yeah, had. Yeah. You'd, have to, you'd have had to have changed the whole squad just to, to implement that. And he wouldn't have the time to do that. I mean, no. if he kept them up, he could do it through a phase. But if they're in a dogfight, that's that you, you won't be afforded the time. Um, so, yeah, I think it was maybe he tried, you know, instead of, um, you know, instead of uh, using the positives that, that, that kept them where they were, he's tried to change it and it's not worked. And the players have thought, oh, this ain't the and they've down tools, which, you know, which happens. In that case, then, if you go on, because it sounds like what we're saying on, with, with Joe Kinnear, even uh, Graham defended Joe Kinnear to a point with the uh, Wimbledon and so did Holland. Wimbledon time, you know, was he a good manager and he moved on right, right Good manager, wrong club. With Joker, there was a big gap. With with uh, Olsen, there wasn't. He came in, had a small uh, uh, period of time, tried to change everything in the club, and, and therefore was found out. It didn't he go down Celtic to, to join them. Well, let, let's move on to Christian Gross then. This probably my ticket here. This I think and I hope it will be my ticket of the dream, of my dream. It's uh, underground ticket. From London Heathrow. I took the underground to come here to a hot white lane. I, I wanted to make the same way that the Tottenham fans are going to do next Monday. Because if we're going to go from this whole thing about changing cultures again, I think, and uh, for those who listened to the previous episode when we uh, interviewed Rule Fox, Christian Gross come up, which is a laughing stock to all of us if we, you know, remember his time in England. But he said the same thing. He came in, no one believed in some of the methods and therefore he's gone. And he said he felt that if he had more time and got players around him that believed in the method, that he could have gone on to be a good manager. So Gross was appointed manager of Tottenham in um, 1997 after enjoying a successful spell with Swiss Clough Grasshopper. So we had a bit of pedigree going in. We didn't know him in the, in the British circles at that time. We didn't really follow Swiss football. Uh, he lasted only nine months at White Hart Lane, had to endure plenty of criticism and did not produce the results that supporters had hoped for. The manager did not have much experience outside of Switzerland at the time and struggled to handle the pressure accompanying the job, especially after what Wenger had, Wenger had done at Arsenal. Any foreign manager who came in, there was this problem of the next Wenger, trying to find the next Wenger in, in every club. Alan Sugar decided to relieve him his duties in the back end of 98-99. Criticised by the English media too at Tottenham for mediocre performances, but proving later on he went back to Ball, FC Ball. For around 10 years, uh, got the better out of the English team in the Champions League. Um, he had a really good reputation and he's currently the manager, of, went on to be a current manager of young boys following his successful stint um, at Stuttgart. Turned up on the tube, didn't he? Instead of getting like an escort there from Heathrow, did he turn up late or something? I don't vaguely remember. He was late and then he's like, I'm sorry, but uh, the ticket. Uh, and he's like, done his ticket, so why he was late. But I mean, no, you know, no, he didn't. He said, "This is going to be the ticket to my dreams," and oh, yeah, that's yeah. what he held. That's what he held up. But his dreams were true <laughs> because he got sent packing. So, uh, you know, back down the district line or wherever he come from. But uh, I think, I think that's that that press conference was the beginning of the end for him because it, you know, it was like he was on a hide into nothing, and it was down to that press conference because that's all he's ever known for. And um, like you say, he gets a, the media all over him from from then on. So, he, you know, he just took a battering. And then I think, you know, when Alan Sugar relieved him of his duty, that was one of the things he said, didn't he? He said that it was the media that ruined him. But when we spoke to, we spoke to a couple of Tottenham players, the, you know, the last time, was it Rule Fox? I can't remember. Was it Rule Fox that said that he, he really enjoyed his methods? Yeah. 
But the, the question is then, really, if you're thinking about it, I mean, if you're, but you're saying we're saying bad managers or weird manager appointments, it's a strange appointment based on the fact that it was a Swiss manager. But it's not that strange if you're looking at the trying to find the next Wenger manager. The issue is, as you said, and everyone knows, is that the, the first press conference made him a bit of a joke anyway. If you're a player in the dressing room and you're going with a point for Christian Gross and no one knows who he is and you watch his first press conference, are you buying into that? Miller, if you're in the changing room, your new manager come in and you've, you've seen on the press conference, he's talking a load of old gibberish almost. Are you going to buy into his method straight away or are you going to be thinking, who is this clown? That's like anything. When you're a new manager coming into any situation, you have to apply yourself the right way. And he's done it completely back to front. You don't know what meetings he's had with a team in the actual behind closed doors before that or after that. But if I was a player or even just a staff member in, who was already there, I'm looking at him thinking, what? A just froze there. I mean, let's say that last line again. Yeah, I'll be thinking if I was just a staff member or player in the in the background or whatever, I'll be thinking this guy's a clown. He's done this completely back to front. So what would it take then for any of you? So that, that's happened, he's coming. What would it take for any of you to then get him for him to get you on side? Because obviously it's day one, he's coming training. Is it is it instantly the training that you go, right, oh, actually I can see his methods here? Or are you against things you're thinking he ain't going to be here for more than six months and he'll be out of the job? Uh, Graham, would, how would he turn you onto his side after a press conference like that? Well, I'll be a, if I was a professional footballer, which I'm not, which I'll hope to be years ago, um, he's a professional manager, so he's coming in, he's getting paid to do a job, I'm getting paid to do a job. I just listen to the... It's hard to say, isn't it, because I'm not in the dressing room, but I, for me, just do your, be, do your best. Um, it's a privilege to play football at a professional level anyway. So we've had these conversations before on WhatsApp and stuff like that. I'll, I'll just give 100%. If, if Christian Gross wanted me to play a certain way or a certain position, I'll be, I'll be yeah, definitely, 100%. Obviously, you'd have maybe have reasons. You don't feel you should be doing this, that or the other. But I'd still I'd still give 100%. Um, with the Gross thing, I don't, I'm not sure if it was a, a player's... I know we haven't gone down the road of a revolt or anything like that. But I don't remember him being that bad. I mean, let's be honest, lads. I mean, in the 90s, Tottenham were... They're not much better than what they are. Now, they were a cut side. They were never challenging. They were never going down. Um, they had mixed results under Gross. Um, I do believe that when Sugar appointed uh, Christian Gross, it was, they were basically copying Arsenal. They were sort of like a Poundland Wenger, if you like. Sugar didn't really do any homework. It's basically, they've, Arsenal have gone down this route of, of appointing somebody that's foreign, doing the business. We're doing the same, and it's not what he expected. And he's gone on to win leagues and cups, yes, in Switzerland, yes, in the Middle East. And he's not going to get the credit for him because they're classed as farmers leagues. But to your original question, sorry, mate. Um, yeah, whatever Gross were bringing, I try my best 100% because I'm a professional footballer. So, but what went wrong? Like I said, I just think it was um, start of the time when they wanted instant success and it wasn't what Sugar expected and he got the elbow. I didn't think I didn't think Tottenham were that, that bad under him. I've seen worse, worse, worse managers under, under Tottenham Hotspur, if I'm honest. We spoke about Olsen, about international managers coming in to be uh, Premier League managers. It, it hasn't seemed to have worked. I look at Scolari at uh, Chelsea. When he came in, quite a big appointment. Everyone wanted to see Scolari at, at club level. He'd only managed in Brazil, but he, he really didn't go on with the players. Um, he was sacked without lasting a full season when Hudem took over later on. Uh, fell out with Drogba. In one stage, he, he, he wanted to sell Drogba or he would resign. Well, obviously... 
like when you go back to talking about like people like Scolari, obviously like, I remember like growing up with like Trapattoni, Angelotti, all those kind of like managers. So when you get when someone appoints whatever club appoints a big name, obviously he's got like like what anyway he's got his own methods. And like David Graham said, if people ain't buying into it, it's hard to manage. So like. But this is the manager that won World Cups. He'd won World Cups at the world stage. Not one. I think he won two World Cups, if I'm not mistaken. So you would think, as a player, you would buy into his methods the minute he walks through the door, no matter how shit they are or crazy they are. You would agree. Just... But then, obviously, because he, he had, had, had was successful in the international stage, maybe he thought he was, I don't know, you know, it's egos, isn't it, like, with footballers. So, like... How long, sorry, like, how long was he at Chelsea? Do you remember how long he was there? He wasn't there a season, was he? Seven no. months, roughly, I think it was. Yeah, six, seven months. Yeah, because he fell out with the players. Uh, bear in mind, Chelsea had a very strong, dominant set of players that, that moved managers on more than one. Hang on, let me just step in there. They were talking about Chelsea sacking managers. Uh, you know, seven months is probably, is probably a, a good stint for a Chelsea manager. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, like, they, they sack people on a whip. I mean, Harry Potter, he's, he's in trouble here. And, um, <laughs> like... So Scolari, I don't think I don't think you can say Scolari's a bad manager for seven months at Chelsea because Chelsea pulled the trigger. I mean, and it's successful for them. Don't get me wrong, because they tend it tends to work for them. You know, you give managers time, but Chelsea seem to pull the trigger and then they'll win a league or they'll win a Champions League. So I don't so think you, you can call say Scolari's. You're, you're talking about Potter, obviously, but obviously he he had time at Brighton to play his style. Uh, he's only been there so many. Oh no, I, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying you know what Chelsea like of as a team. Any other team will give them a bit of time, but you know Chelsea will just just it'll be Gonski. But new ownership it, matter, uh, Chelsea. New owners. Well, yeah, the new owners may not do that. But yeah, it, it might change in Chelsea. But, but back on Chelsea on this appointment, I think you have to then look at that manager. Scolari didn't go on to achieve anything after Chelsea. So was it a case that, again, when you've got world class players in a, in a world class team like Brazil, they kind of you go, well, lads. You're Ronaldo, you're Ronaldinho, you're you know Roberto Carlos. Just just go and play. How much management is is there being done? So the question, I suppose, in terms of a good manager and a bad manager, is I think there's international managers who you see players what five times a year do a couple of training sessions, maybe a little bit of tactics, but it's very basic. Then you've got club football, which is 52 weeks of the year. You're coaching people literally all of the time. You have to reinvent your coaching sessions consistently to make sure you're winning. And if you don't speak the language, which I always find is a strange barrier, I think you're on a, on a hide into nothing nine times out of ten. Southampton. Um, we'll move on to Paul Sturrock at Southampton. You know, former Southampton manager Gordon Strachan did amazing at the club in 2001-2002. Um, he took over from Stuart Gray. Uh, there was established, you know, there's some great players in there. When he left the club, they replaced him with Paul Sturrock in March 2004, who had no previous experience in any of the leagues, in top leagues in Europe. He had a poor period with the Saints, but he did not perform at all. And after a good start to his reign, they won, I think, three of the first four games. In the next nine games, they managed one win. Um, and ultimately, he was sacked. Um, anyone remember Paul Sturrock? No, I was just thinking of where he was before. Was he at um, Plymouth Argyle before? Plymouth, or yeah. Someone like that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so yeah. coming from a team like that into the Premier League, you're already on the back foot. So if the players, like what we've said about the bigger teams like Chelsea and even the personalities that was at Wimbledon, if the players ain't buying into 
what a championship manager is saying, you ain't going to get the best out of anyone. So, like we spoke about certain coaches that go into management on the WhatsApps and stuff like that. And that's the same sort of level. If you're not coming in and, like Holland said, with new tactics and training sessions that are making the players buy into think, oh, yeah, this guy is different. We're going to learn a bit from him. We're going to enjoy this this time underneath this manager. If they don't do that in the first couple of weeks, the squad's checked out already because their egos will, will take over the change room. The big personalities, the characters will start taking over. So that's why... I think it's more difficult for a a league manager stepping into the Premier League, no matter even if it was in the nineties, noughties. Now, I think it's more difficult for them. But I don't really recall that much about the team, to be honest. What squad he had at Southampton at the time. He's gonna put his arm around you and he knows how to manage characters. Start didn't come across that way, like in the interviews, and he's, he's come across quite hard. And it's my way, and I don't think the players would have bought into that type of management when they've just had somebody who's going to put their arm around them and tell them how good they are. Harper, Look at would, Harry Redknapp. Well, yeah, Harper, would you agree or disagree with that? Yeah, I, no, I, I definitely, yeah, I agree with basically what Adam said. Um, he did come across like that as well, but I, I want to ask you guys, like. Do you think so? In the nineties, so did you do you think that like the chairmans, when they was looking for an appointment, that they wanted a foreign manager because of what Wenger's done? Yeah, do think 100%. that hundred percent. Yeah, I think it skewed everything because you had managers. So what I'm trying to get at is, do you think that's why people like Scolari went to Chelsea because they're? I think he was like the highest paid manager in world football at the time. He was on like seven million pound a year. Uh, and he only lasted seven months. He was on a three-year contract, so that's what I'm trying to get at. Do you think like that owners were looking for that kind of foreign, like Gross, um, like Olsen? Do, do you think they wanted their style of football to change? Or yeah, I think Wenger. Sco- I mean, you had Doctor Joseph. I can't pronounce his name. Wenglos, whatever his name was, the first foreign manager who took over at Villa, and that was in oh, was that '91, I think it was, if I'm right. Great, you're laughing. How do you say his name? Go on, you pronounce it. <laughs> Dr. Joseph Fenglas. Yeah, you got it spot on. Um, yeah, yeah. it's not as good as when you said it, though, to be fair. But he was <laughs> you know, the first manager that came in and he, he flopped completely. And that was almost burnt everyone's hands. And then Wenger comes in, changes them around within 18 months and, and makes them a you know a dominant, well-oiled team who can sign players on the cheap and make them look world-class. Christian Grosch came in soon after and therefore the door had opened. But just quickly, can I just go back to the Dr. Joseph Fengloss one? Yeah. Because um, no, I, I find this one intriguing. They've mentioned about him being a doctor. And obviously back then in 1990, we were only seven and eight, so we wouldn't remembered it much really. It's only uh, the latter stage because he actually went on to manage Celtic as well. And obviously yeah. Dave's got a soft spot for Celtic. But when you think of him as a doctor, you think of him as a GP. Obviously, until you do a bit of digging, you realise that he's a, he was a doctor in PE. Basically, he could have been our, our teacher at Phoenix High School, you know, he, he had a qualification in that. But the thing that intrigues me more is the season beforehand, Graham Taylor was in charge of Villa. Um, he took him to second spot and he qualified for the UEFA Cup. Um, he left for the England job and failed. Vengros came in. He was he previously managed Czechoslovakia and took him to the quarters of um, Italia 90, came in and failed. 
but they finished from second to fourth from bottom. And they had players in the team like Paul McGrath, Tony Daly, David Platt and Dwight York. And it's completely a, a, a massive change going from second to fourth from bottom with basically the same team. So it, that to me is basically, you know, as we start the podcast off about tactics and bringing in new methods, obviously from Czechoslovakia, um, nothing like Graham Taylor whatsoever. And he left as well. He didn't get the sack. He actually walked, which is interesting because nowadays you get sacked. Especially yeah, from I, I, looked, I looked into this ground when he, the reason he, he got the ump with the media because you know in England the media control the world but um but he got he got the ump because he said the headline was Dr Joe must go and he went fuck this I will and he, uh, <laughs> he signed himself off on a doctor's uh, doctor's note and he bounced um, can I just talk about Stark it's quite Relevant, really, because I asked yesterday on WhatsApp, I didn't realise that um, Hassan Hootle for Southampton had been sacked. And obviously Nathan Jones has taken over in the week and he had his first game missed against Liverpool. The thing with Sturrock was he took, I think he took Plymouth from the Div 3 to Div 1. They were struggling and he came in, no money to spend, just used all his, his, I suppose, his football knowledge. He was a player at Dundee for X amount of years, took all his knowledge and experience and got him into the old Div 1, which is the championship now. Now, I don't know if you agree, I'm, I'm guessing that Southampton thought this guy's got something and he's also a cheap option, so should we give him a chance? That's what's going through my head. Because, you, you, like Miller like said, you wouldn't sort of, he's not really a Southampton appointment, even though they've made some strange in the past. They've sort of done it last week, haven't they? I mean, Nathan Jones wouldn't be the top name you'd put to Southampton now. Um, he managed in the league with Stoke, I, I think, when they were in the Premier League last, I might go that wrong. Um, struggled a bit so he's done he's still gone back to Luton started pulling up trees to an extent again and he's given a second chance so what do you what do you lads say I think that I think he's gone on the, the narrative of he's done one as at Plymouth we'll give him a chance in the Premier League and see if he's got something you know I agree yeah, I think I think we can all agree that, that exactly right I think that's the question when we said about bad managers mm. it's, I don't think there's any bad managers it's bad appointments I think that the, the show should be called I think like in the 90s there were a lot of uh, managers that yeah like pretty much had a settled team. So you talk about Joe Kinnear, like we were talking about him earlier. He actually did a good job for Wimbledon. So good appointment for the like club. There's, there's no doubt, there's no two ways about it. Like people like Alan Kirbishley, like he at Charlton revolutionised it. How many years? And they, they was never like, they was never going to win anything, but there was always up like comfortable. Uh, like they're kind of like managers like that. Um, well, we haven't really spoken about it, but George Graham, like he had, he had to work. yeah, yeah, he was brilliant. Like you know what I'm saying. So instead of keep swapping and changing these like managers, I feel I feel like that they should be given time. And the, those managers that I've just named, they for me they were they were they weren't great. Like they weren't they weren't they ain't gonna change everything like what Wenger done and say Julier or Benitez. But they were pretty solid, and I think like every yeah, era you have managers think. like that. Lee. Every era, like say you got like Sean Dyche type manager now. He's basically Alan Kirby of the nineties. He's yeah, just a steady know, yeah, manager. I, I agree. Yeah, but see, all the time, all the time they're finishing, or they're up there, twelfths, your thirteenths, your fourteenths, and they're steady going. But the minute they have a, a poor start, or you know, what I mean, they're hovering around the, the relegation zone at Christmas. That's when the, the chairman started having to make a decision. So they will be afforded time with all the time they're above that relegation zone, or they're you know safe enough. Yeah. But the minute the minute they you know there's a threat of going down and losing this revenue, that's when that's when decisions start getting made. But um, 
if we're going to talk about managers here, we, we got to talk, you know, we talk about Newcastle and um, being a shambles, but Blackburn, which Steve Keane was, Steve Keane. was, um, <laughs> was unreal. Like, I wrote some notes down, like, and he, he's my big, he's, he's got the biggest fucking notes I've got going here. Like, but that was, that was, who was the, their chairman? Was, um, what's his Walker. name? Walker. Yeah, but, I mean, when the chicken people took over. That's when it went mental. Like, I was like, so, like, looking at it, like, so going back to Steve King, they gave him a three year contract when he had one win and he was bottom of the league. <laughs> that's I mean, funny. what? That's madness, isn't it? That's, and you, and you talk about Mike Ashley being like some chairman. Imagine what the Blackburn Rovers fans had to go through because Lee mentioned there, they were winning leagues and that, playing exciting football, had like your Shearers and the SAS and all this. To, to go in to go into that and it was pretty quick. But adding to the fact if that he you, got the, sorry sorry to help, he got the job based on the fact that he 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 booted Sam Allardyce out. So Sam was the manager as he's and he was in number two. The Venkies came in, he cozied up to the Venki family and said, I, I think Allardyce needs to be moved on. We want to move the club forward. Allardyce got the boot and then Keane got the got the, the deal to come in. And the Venkies at the time, I remember listening to shows at the time that they literally had no idea. Steve King was running the club. At that stage, he literally was, it, it, he would have said, I need a three-year contract. You know, we're at the bottom at the moment. They didn't know, the Venkis wasn't aware when they gave him the contract that there was relegation. That's how stupid they were. They didn't know about relegation. So they didn't think they were they had a risk of going down. And he told them, don't worry, a three-year deal, no problem, we'll get it all sorted. And they couldn't get rid of him because they didn't know that, they didn't know the process to sack him. They didn't think they could sack him. It was only when later on when they brought in a solicitor to represent the club that then he they, they sacked him. Yeah, no, sorry. I was just going to ask all like the question to Beck, basically to all four of you. If you was a manager in the nineties, which what kind of owner would you like to work for? So I'll, I'll start basically. If I was if I was a manager, I probably would would have liked to work with someone like Steve Gibson uh, for Borough. Like he put a lot of money into it, even though they swap managers. But I don't know. I know this this uh, is about managers, but Obviously, a lot of owners like in the nineties, they're pretty like swap and change. So, if who would you to you, Paul? Who would you like to have worked for? Oh, Bill Kenwright would have been, would have been a dream. Gibson's a great one, but I would have gone with Kenwright. I think he's shown with Moyes at Everton didn't have much to work on, but he wouldn't. He was he stuck by his man. So, I, I would have gone with uh, Kenwright. Would have been mine. Uh, yes, no, it's, it's a good question. It's also a hard question as well. Um, hard question. I mean, is we only know the chairmen or the owners through media. Um, we don't know what they're like in the boardrooms and how they are. One player might say he's the best, you know, he's the best chairman or owner I've ever noticed, I've ever worked with, and a guy in the same team would say he's, he's an absolute shit house. He was horrible to work with. A bit like Doug Ellis, to be honest. Um, some people say he was the best they've ever worked for. Had all the money they wanted. Had a blank checkbook. Done this, that, and the other. And other people say the complete opposite. It was a complete bastard. He never backed me. So it's it's a quite hard one to to go down unless you know him personally. Um, yeah, it's a tough one on the top. Yeah, probably Mike Walker. Um, based on sorry, Mike Walker. My my apologies, Jack Walker. Based on the open checkbook and let me see what I can do with the players available that I can afford, you know? So, yeah, off the top of my head, probably Jack Walker because Dave Leash had that open checkbook back then. I know signing players for two or three million doesn't sound a lot now, but it, it was a lot of money back then. So, yeah, Jack Walker for me, lads. Uh, I, could, I could tell you I didn't, wouldn't want to work for Ken Bates. Oh, fuck that. Uh, <laughs> you know, I like the old Jack Walker. Yeah, I like say, you know, you're going to get some money off of him and they, you know, it was... Uh, 
it was an exciting time at the time they hadn't won it. It wasn't like the usual suspects, you know. I'm, this time around, I'm not going to slate United. I'm trying to, I'm trying to, you know, <laughs> turn over a new leaf. But um, yeah, I would say Jack Walker. But yeah, Ken Bates, I can imagine was a was a was a nightmare. I was, I would have, I would have thought. Miller, uh, I can't remember the guy's name now. Peter Rinsdale. From oh yeah, Peter Rinsdale. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he he backed the managers. And they was going places, Leeds. Very exciting team. And they got to with David O'Leary. As well, but, yeah. but yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, he's been at two clubs and back run both. <laughs> no, but like he, he seemed like somebody that would say to the manager, whatever you want. Yeah. Whatever, yeah, there weren't no in, interference. Let's take this club forward. It was his main thing. Obviously, he couldn't control the money because of what's happened with Leeds over the years, but. Yeah, he just seemed to come across like David O'Leary, whatever you want, I'll I'll do my best to get it to you. And that's all you can ask for as a manager. It's his job to look after the money, but it's also his job to implement stuff for the managers and enable them to make the best team. So, I say, uh, but go, sorry, Miller, like going back to chairman, it's better when the chairmans were like local businessmen or fans of the clubs and all that. Now it's a business and, you know, Liverpool, you see the other day going for five billion and all that sort of stuff. So the chairmans are not really that invested in it now. It's more of a business. But back in the night where we're talking about, yeah. you're talking about people that loved the club. So they were fans, you know, so when they done well, they were part of it. You know, like you see the chairman getting picked up when they win things and, you know, by the fan and all that sort of stuff. And you, that's gone now, which is a shame. Very yeah, Barry Fry, yeah. I think I think you're absolutely right. I think if you if you go back and watch the lower league, uh, in the, I mean, outside the championship, I think 19 out of the 22 clubs in the championship are owned by foreign investment owners. Um, when you go down to lower leagues, which has now got a massive revival, I think a lot of those chairmen are buying clubs for 1.5, 2 million. You know, that's the, that's the range that the British uh, clubs are looking at now when you can invest and you can build a club up. I know you've got the Salford owned by the, the Neville's brothers and the Beckham. I mean, welcome to Wrexham, which is owned by foreign owners, which I'm talking about, uh, you know, we're talking about not owning foreign uh, owners. But you can see managers and a chairman in that division now. You can you can see everyone. Um, the, the, I think someone got taken over the other day. Not to count, I think got taken over by a local guy who's like a, a farming guy or whatever. It is nice to see it in the lower league. The top league is all gone now. There's too much money in it. You know, it's you, you, how many local businessmen could have part of five billion pounds? Not not many. Um, all right. So just the, the last segment I'll do, and I'll go to I'll go to Graham for this one first. The worst manager and why at your club? You're a Fulham fan. Who would be your worst manager and why was he the worst manager under your at your club? You put me on the spot now. We've had a few a few nightmares. We had not so long ago, we had three in one season, which is an absolute dis disgrace. We're going down the road of Watford of em employing you know managers every other week. Um, worst manager I've ever had. It's a hard one because obviously when I was when my dad started taking me back in the early nights, we had Ian Brantford. Do you remember him? He was managing Southampton. Um, but again, you know, he was in the old Div Three and uh, he had no money to spend. We, we were going bankrupt. Obviously, the football wasn't pretty. Um so, yeah. Um Ogden was good. Tigner was good. Tigner was probably in favour, actually. Um, yeah, yeah, probably. Yeah, it's a good one. It's a good shout. Um, a gap, which was a, a strange one again. Obviously, I, I think he won the Champions League with Bayern, or he was up there. He was winning league titles. Um, came to us, had some strange methods. Um, yeah, a gap, probably. Yeah. But he's quite loved at Celtic, Dave, I read into, because he bought Ludo Maracic and um, Johan Mialbi. So he's he's not yeah, sort he of ridiculed up there. He didn't win anything with them. No. Um, Harper, <laughs> QPR, you've had a lot of managers over the years. 
Uh, and this goes to both Miller and, Q- and Harper, both QPR fans. Who would either one of you say was the was it the same manager or different manager? Be interesting to see. Uh, Miller, you, you go first. This who is the worst manager at QPR and why? Second stint of Holloway. Everyone loved Holloway down there. Second stint, I hated him. He made me give up my season ticket just from the style of football that I was watching down there. Yeah, yeah I must admit their style. He, the style he, of play wasn't the no. best. No. And he Would made it both- all about himself, which I didn't like. He, he wanted to be the funny guy on the TV and he weren't focusing on the team or making the team better or the players in that. So he was just loved himself so much in front of the camera and it bothered me. And Mark Hughes. Hmm. Um, and another one as well that I didn't really like get on was Harry Redknapp. Hmm. Like, I weren't a lover really. I just think it brought a lot of shit in and, and left the club in pretty bad financially situation so yeah either one of those but we've had some yeah we've had some crazy appointments QPR Jim, there, Jim there has been some like we had yeah but we are like even like Paolo Sosa like he's not like he's actually gone on to do well like and but not given the time again so you don't actually know like we have there's been yeah there's been loads like Graham saying about Fulham the I don't even know. Uh, I used to like Jerry Francis. So Holland, Arsenal, worst manager. I mean, you, have, you, you haven't had as many, obviously, as QPR or Fulham under your reign. But uh, what do you say? It's, it's easy for me, really, isn't it? Because I'm not going to go into the modern era. But, you know, we, we had George Graham, who had a big spell. And then in between him and uh, Wenger, we had Bruce Rioch and Stuart Houston. So, but, I, it, yeah, Bruce Rioch is... The only thing you can say is that, that he done well was that he brought in David Platt and Dennis Burkamp. So, you know, he had a big part. Well, I say that. It probably was he was probably he was given Burkamp, I'd say, by um by the club. So, but yeah, I looked into it today because I was going to hammer him, but he did finish fifth in the in the one season that he was there. And we got to the Europa Europa well, UEFA Cup or whatever it was there. Who's yours, Paul? Uh do you know what Fergie. I got- yeah, Fergie, definitely the worst. Fuck me, useless. Um, <laughs> do you know what? I, I've, I've, I don't think we've had a, a worse manager since I've since Ferguson. I, I know that media jump on everyone, but I, I think the board, the clubs, have run so poorly that Moyes, I think, is a great manager. Never got the time. Um, Van Hal came in, tried to change things, spent a lot of money, um, but his Van Hal was was ahead of his time. He was playing, for, you know, trying to do the three five two, and he got kicked out. Uh, Jose came in. I would say. You, you, how can you say it's the got, word? It's got to be Wreck It Ralph, isn't it? Well, yeah, he was the interim manager, so I don't really cl- class as interim manager. Uh, yeah, he was shit. Otherwise, you would oh, say, geez. I would say, yeah, Ralph out of that. But um, people, a lot of people say Solskjaer, but I think Solskjaer, you know, he done, he got us the two finals and finished second in the league. He got some pride back in the club. So no, I think out of them you'd say Ralph. But if I had to choose any of those, I would say Jose for his explosiveness. But he won two trophy, three trophies if you count the Charity Shield. So it's oh, hard. Well, we don't. So it's two. <laughs> Jesus well, Christ! Yeah, you, but you, sorry, I, I, when you are you Man United fans, when you lot all slate off the Glazers, right? I don't, I can't, I can't work it out. You're still spending fucking millions. No, so it's way deeper than that. I, I agree, we spent millions and billions on players, but the fact is that we've old traffic. What more do you want from an owner? Uh, if you're like, surely, like, well, it used to buy you success in the nineties. <laughs> no, I'll go for it briefly because I won't bore everyone. I'll go very briefly. Um, it's not the fact that we're not spending money. No one's arguing that because we, we, we have spent more than anyone else in Europe. The point is, 
is when the Glazers took over, Old Trafford was a premium venue in the UK. Um, our training facilities are premium venues. In the last 20 odd years since they've taken over, 18 years since they've taken over, um, I would say the top seven clubs in the country are now overtaking us in training facilities. Old Trafford is falling down into pieces. It's not been used by FIFA for, I think, nine years. It's not on the FIFA list. If you look at how much money we had, we were one of the richest clubs in the world. Uh, we had a bank reserve of over 350 million. The Glazers have taken out the Glazers in there. Yeah, that, that doesn't affect Man United fans, man. Who gives a shit? Ain't coming out their pocket. If you're a player and you're thinking you're going to training ground and the showers don't work, what kind of message that's sending if you're the biggest club in the world? What that Carrington? Is that where it's Carrington? Yeah, Carrington. Carrington. Sure, ain't that fucking bad. Okay, you go to Tottenham's training ground. You go to Man City's training ground. You go to Arsenal's training ground. You go to um, a lot of these training grounds. They are they are mini. Spin parks, in, in essence, with what they've got and the ability. Take the fact that the Glazers, if you look at United now, we have less than three, less than £150 million in the bank in cash reserves. We have a debt of £490 million. The Glazers take, have taken out, in 18 years, £1.5 billion. They have not put a penny in as owners in 18 years. So if you look at all this billion pounds they've spent, that billion pound has been spent by the club's revenue because we bring in so much money. So from the, from a, a fan point of view, not moaning about... And also the fact that we bought, spent a billion pounds on awful players or awful systems or overpaid for players because we haven't got a system in place like Arsenal have had in the last three years, like Man City have had in the last 10 years, like Liverpool have had in the last nine years. There's, there's, it's, football isn't, a fo- isn't just a manager and a club anymore. It's from top down. It's such a, it's such a, a machine. Look at... Uh, Amazon documentaries on recently. I watched it and I I, I'm, I was I was I'm an Arteta fan. I think Arsenal can go on and do really well this season, and you can see it because from the from the board up, it's all a cohesive unit. When when Arteta said he's going to get rid of Aubameyang last season, the board could have turned around and said, Nah, 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 nah. You know, if we get rid of him, we're not going to finish fourth. And they knew that was a risk, but they got rid of him and the board backed him 110. They said, If that's what you want, we'll get him out. Marina wanted to get rid of Pogba and the ball said no. Ten Hag wanted to get rid of Ronaldo, the ball said no. You know, two of the most controversial players for United over the last couple of years in terms of whatever you want to look at. And it causes a friction in the squad and distraction. I have to go back. To, I don't want to carry on with that, Shiza, but I, I do want to just say one thing. You said that it's uh, most places are like a theme park now. No, I have to disagree. I think our, uh, Old Trafford is a theme park because it's full of clowns and it's just... Uh, it's just <laughs> so... Yeah, so um, yeah, I thought I'd just get that in. <laughs> I was I was going to butt in and hit you with it, but I thought I'd wait to the end. Swiftly yeah. moving on. Oh no, just so just I've got a couple of shitty managers. I just thought I'd throw out there, just just random names. We don't have to go into it. A little bit later on in the nineties, but Andre Vs Boas had a stinker. Yeah, and he got a, a choice at Tottenham after. The worst one. He went Tottenham after that. Yeah, and then another stinker who was a great great player. Was uh, Frank De Boer? Remember him at uh, uh, Palace? Was five games sacked? Yeah. So I thought we'd do, just for the theme, I thought I'd just throw a couple of names out. We ain't got to go into into uh, their records and that, but yeah, just a few uh, few managers that had stinkers. Tony Adams at Portsmouth. Well, listen, we don't want to. Let's not ruin legends. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. He, uh, do you think? Yeah. Do you think footballers make the best managers or not? 
Well, history says yes. If you if you if you look at the history of all the best managers, they're all played. Um, I think. Maybe yeah, but they, they get even the opportunity though more than someone who hasn't played, isn't it? You're, you've already got your foot in the door as being a player. You have to work a lot harder if you've never played the game. Depends how good you was as a player, though. I think it was at least then. If you was a top, yeah. top player, it does that. Well, that, I, I don't know that. Sorry, man. I don't. I don't think that's particularly true because I don't. I, I don't find that the best, bestest players in the world turn out to be the bestest managers. Usually, a player that weren't all that. Yeah, that's that's well, what. Well, Brian Robson, he weren't that very good, was he? At Borough, he did all right. Really, Rudolph, Newcastle, Sexy yeah. But you could go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Gone. You look at sorry, look, look at Perlo now. Perlo, mm. it's like Dave was saying, he's gone straight, he went straight into the Juventus job, didn't he? Based on him being a world class player, and he it flopped. Did, I think he had a season, did he have a season there as well? I think he had a bit of time compared to the guys we spoke about. So, yeah, I don't think they, I don't think to Lee's question, top quality players do they make great managers? Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. I, I think it's a bit well, of a mixture, isn't happening. it? As well, like... Sorry, yeah. but what, what, what I think what happening... What do we think that Glenn Hoddle never really... Hold on, Harper, let me finish. Go on, Mills. Graham, what you were saying there, I think the problem is with those players, they're going in too early. They're not staying out of the game and mm. doing their own research on learning their craft behind the yeah. scenes in the, in the youth systems and stuff. They're going straight into to the deep end too early they're still too involved in the game like they were players still so they're looking at it from a player's perspective not a manager's perspective so that's why I think a lot of them are falling over mm. personally my, my yeah. argument on that would be if you look at um, top and uh, Harper you mentioned Hoddle before I interrupted you the problem is if you're a top class manager and I, I'll use Pep as this I'll use Pep and Roy Keane as two examples extreme examples maybe but Pep was at Barcelona and done Barcelona B, went into one of the best footballing teams in the world football and won trophies. Left, left them, great setup, left them, went to Bayern Munich, the second best or the most, the best, most well-run club in the world, Bayern Munich, who just come off of winning the treble. Went there two seasons, fantastic. Went to Man City, we spent three years building up the infrastructure for Pep to walk into. I'm not saying he's a bad coach, I'm not saying that by any stretch of the imagination. He he worked from with he went from coaching and being part of elite players to coaching and managing elite players. Roy Keane's first job from from the high standards that Keane had as a player went to Sunderland, got them from bottom of the league up into the Premier League, done okay, then got sacked and then never really recovered because he went from going you know working from elite players or being with elite players to going well your shit your shit your shit. Glenn Hoddle Harper you was about to mention was the same thing. People would had said Glenn Hall was the best play, player in uh, player in training, you know, because he would go right, not this yard, this ball, sixty yards on that can of beans, bounce off the can of beans onto the goal line. Oh, let me just do it for you, and I'll show you, because he's used to working with elite players. And I think that the problem with when you got someone like Klopp, uh, Matt, who played at a mid level, some argue, you you don't have that experience of working with the best players, but you have a mind that can you can see things that other players can't see and you get the time to kind of balance that out. Anyone? With, sorry, with, with Hoddle, sorry, like, with Hoddle, I, th- I think I remember Hoddle's teams that he managed defensively rubbish. Mm-hmm. I just defensively not very good. We scored two, they scored three. You know, that sort of narrative. So it's, they weren't very good defensively, mate, from my memory. But tactically, going forward and the way he set yeah. his teams up, he was ahead of his time, Hoddle. He was trying formations away from the standard 4-4-2, especially like with the England team. 
But no, I agree with what Miller said about people learning their trade. Just going back to Mikel Arteta, he, he was picking up the cones for Pep Guardiola for a couple of seasons. Picking up the cones. And, 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 and now look at him. So, oh, yeah. you know, like you say, with your Gerrards and your Lampards, just boss straight out in top jobs. And, you know, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But no, no one's going out there and learning their trade now, are they? They're just going straight into jobs like they've, like they've, you know, like they've been experienced managers and they're being found out. Yes, the famous quiz is back. Um, it's not the same as last time, listeners. Um, there's no league table. It's not very competitive. It's just a bit of fun. It's a two-minute quiz, I've named it, because they've got 30 seconds to basically... Tell me what player, how what clubs they play for. <laughs> so I've got four players. Um, the guys numbered one to four. The guys have got a name. I've got to give me the number they want. So and I'll show them the player. And then they've got to tell me in 30 seconds how many teams this that, that player has played for in the 90s. These uh, the teams I've got are from Wikipedia. So anyone that says that's not right, that's not right, just refer to Wikipedia and I've got them off there. So as we do this on a weekly or monthly basis, however we're going to, going to do this, it will come more and more easier. But it's quite an easy quiz. The best right back in West London at the time. It's only fair I'll take number two. That was okay. my number. No one else could get it. So there's number two. Let's go. Okay. Right. I'm going to show you your player. In 30 seconds, you've got to tell me as many clubs this guy played for in his career. Your player is Colton Palmer. Are you ready? Okay, uh, yeah. Oh, well, have I got Go. to say the clubs, yeah? Yeah. Uh, Sheffield Wednesday. Uh, yep, and then I'm Oh, Jesus Christ. Uh, Sheffield United, Liverpool, Chelsea, uh, Tottenham. Oh. Um, I just rattled off some teams. I just, just... Shambles. To <laughs> start off, it's an absolute shambles. Dave picked Carlton Palmer. He got Sheffield Wednesday in Leeds. Carlton Palmer played for West Brom, Sheffield Wednesday, Leeds, Southampton, Forest, Coventry, Watford, Stockport, Dublin City, Mansfield, Stavely My- Miners and Grantham Town. He made 594 club appearances with 32 goals. Dave scored a big score of two teams. Yes. Well done, Dave. Right. Thanks, man. <laughs> that was bloody So hard. we've got That's numbers fun. one. We've got numbers one, three, and four left. Who wants to go next? Go on, Hops. Three. So when I show you a player, I'll tell you a player. In 30 seconds, you've got to tell me how many teams this guy's played for in his career. You ready? Yeah. Your player is Kevin Phillips. Go. Sunderland. Yep. Southampton. Yep. Um, Derby. Leicester. Yep. Charl- no, not Charlton. Uh, um, oh, that's tough, man. Stop. Yeah. Lee scored three. He got Sunderland, Southampton and Leicester. Kevin Phillips played for Boldup Town, Watford, Sunderland, Southampton, Aston Villa, West Brom, Birmingham, Blackpool, Crystal Palace and Leicester. 580 club appearances with 246 goals. Lee Arthur scores three. In the lead. So we've got number one and number four left. Miller or Paul? Who wants to go next? Four Mills. Four. He's gone for his school number, number four. You know how it rolls. I'm going to show you a player, Miller, and are you ready? Number four is Dion Dublin. Go. Yeah. 
United, Man United, um, yep. Leicester, yep. Birmingham, nope. Co- Coventry, Oxford, Leicester. You done Leicester? Sheffield United, Sheffield nope. Wednesday, Norwich. Stop. Yeah. Well done. You got that right on twenty nine there. You're going to kick yourself. You said Oxford. It was actually Cambridge. Theon Dublin played for Cambridge, Barnet, Wickham, Man United, Coventry, Aston Villa, Millwall, Leicester, Celtic and Norwich. 615 club appearances, 183 goals scored. Two, three, four, five. Millers in the lead with five teams. Well done. So that leaves Mickey now. Number five. one. Well done. Go on. Number one, Wendy. your player is Paul. <laughs> Dean Saunders. Are you ready? Dean, yeah, go on. Go. Uh, Wimbledon, uh, Sheffield United, Bradford, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Derby County, yeah. Galatasaray, yeah. I'm out. Who? Benfica, yeah. Derby, Derby, um, Manchester, City. Derby. Manchester City, oh. Oh. Watford. Stop. Did you say Oxford? Yeah. No, yeah, he, never he said Watford. He said Watford. Oh, Watford. Oh, no. So I thought you said Oxford. No. So Paul scored one, two. Paul's tying with Miller. He's got five. Dean Saunders played for Swansea, Cardiff, Brighton, Oxford, Derby, Liverpool, Villa, Galatasaray, Forest, Sheffield United, Benfica, and Bradford. 618 club appearances and 190 club goals. So we've got a tie. And when we've got a tie, guys, we have a tie break question, which is between Miller and Mickey as they both scored five. So when we've done this quiz last time, I got a bit of quiz criticism because I couldn't see whose hand put up first. So I need a referee between Lee and Dave. Who's the referee? Me. All right, Dave's the referee. So I'm going to ask the question between Paul and Miller and Dave's going to tell me who puts their hand up first with the right answer. If they both get the wrong answer, this is going to be a draw because we can go on all fucking night. <laughs> so here's the question. Miller, Mickey, are you both ready? Go on. All right, here we go. Des Walker left Nottingham Forest in 1992 to join which Italian club? Miller. Lazio. Incorrect. Sampdoria. Sampdoria. Paul McGuire's the winner this week. Well done, Paul. Well, Alexa! I, 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 Sampdoria! As, as the referee, like, I thought we were changing what we were doing this time round. Mickey, you're at it again. Yeah, the eyes, mate. The eyes. <laughs> the eyes. It, all of us were like, he, Look at he, the he's been sitting back the whole time and he's doing the quiz and his head's like this. And he's When he pulled Galatasaray out of his pants, I was like, here we go. Oh, Dave, when you went outside the room, he fucking followed that up with Benfica. Benfica. <laughs> <laughs> I, can't win. I just can't win. Honestly. You do win. That's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> Good idea. All right, guys, that's the end of this week, this month's show. Thank you for listening. Hope you enjoyed our um, our episode back. We will be back next month for a special again, and we'll probably do one a month for the next couple of months or so. Apart from that, guys, thank you so much for listening, and we will hopefully hear from you and speak to you all next month. Straight forward.
He has no experience of English football. He's come from Japan. He's got to go to Middlesbrough and get something. And, and I'll tell you, honestly, I will love it if we beat them. Love it. So I'm not one of, of the bottle. I'm a, I think I'm a special one. I have to, to talk about facts, because I think it's important. Sports Social Podcast Network.